What's up, man? Nothing. I'm, apparently, there's a stomach virus going around, and I'm dealing with it. And um, I've not had the Chan Ho Park explosive in a long time, but uh, it's here. So. Chan Ho Park, Jordan Alvarez, apparently, from earlier in the ALCS. Paul Pierce, who needed a wheelchair to stay clenched up enough to get back to the locker room many That's years ago in the NBA Finals. There are examples. Troy Aikman had a moment, too, where he left the field pretty quickly, and people are like, uh-oh, is Troy Aikman hurt? No, he just yeah. had to go to the bathroom real bad. We're getting back to college basketball when it minutes shit. Um, Bobby Hurley, remember him? <clears throat> I do remember him. He was the uh, the sole endorser of the uh, the Mitts brand that I loved and wasn't in business for very long. But, uh, no, but Bobby, Bobby, Hurley, at Duke? Bobby Hurley's diarrhea is freshman year. Huh. It. Uh, I forgot what it may have been a sophomore year, but but whatever game it was, and he apparently had the run. So, yeah, this is going around. I've talked to too many people. It's what I do is talk to people, especially for my job. And, and you know, half of the offices are out with this. So. I don't know what it is. I kind of felt it last time we did a show on Thursday coming on, but it almost felt like I was going to puke. I haven't puked, um, but I've not been able to, you know, it just, just messes with your system, man. So I may be at the start of this right now then, because I feel achy and a little pukey right now. I had so that hopefully, early. Hopefully in a couple of days, I'm not glued to a toilet for the reasons that you're currently laying out. You probably will be. Bodies are funny, though. You know, I'm, I'm, I go to sleep early last night. Gonna get a good night's sleep. Get up, go to work, and it. I got up four, at least four times. You never know; it could have been more. And I'm not checking my phone the whole time. And I don't want to turn the light on in the bathroom and check my phone and get on that because that'll wake you up. But yeah, it like my body like wouldn't really let me go to sleep because it knew, no, we're not, we're not, we're not throwing away a mattress and sheets, okay? It just depends on what you do to the mattress and sh- sheets. No, uh, th- this would have done a lot. Wait, are you saying that you you mess the bed? No, I'm saying I, my body was telling me not to mess the bed, ah, so I really couldn't get to sleep. When I kind of got a little sleep, but was ah. feeling it to where I knew right away, it time to get in there. We're not we're not turning this into a, a race to the toilet, all right? Yeah, it's a pretty rotten feeling, and I don't know where the the sheets and the mattress being torched, where that falls in the whole hierarchy of soiling yourself. Like it's not as much of an automatic as the underwear, if you do that, if you mess yourself like that, which that's the second rule of shitting yourself is that the underwear has to be tossed. It's not salvageable. I'm sorry. I don't care how many times you wash it. If nothing else, you'll never be able to wash away the memory of shitting yourself every time you see that underwear. But if you do that on your sheets, the sheets are probably gone. And it just depends on how far it's seeped into the mattress to where you may need to consider getting a new mattress too. 
Yeah, a mattress is obviously a lot more expensive than sheets. or. But I, I'm very much a guy to where I've got three different sheets at all times yeah. and bed covers. I've got 29 pair of underwear and 80 pairs of socks just to limit doing laundry twice a week. Yeah. Who, who doesn't do that? Who only has a week's worth of socks and underwear? Because if so, you are doing yourself a serious disservice. Yeah. I mean, there are probably a lot of people with the economy right now that may be down to that. So I, I'm not going to get on them. I, I feel bad for them. So. Yes, Craig. There are rules. to sh There are the unwritten rules of shitting yourself. The first unwritten rule of shitting yourself, as BK laid out, is don't shit yourself. The second rule of shitting yourself is that you have to get rid of the underwear. The third rule of shitting yourself is that you don't talk about it for at least five to 10 years because you need that much time to really process it and to uh, get further and further away from the moment itself. Those are the three unwritten rules of shitting yourself. Craig, I'm with you. Rules? Come on. Look, I don't always believe in rules, but the unwritten rules are valuable in various scenarios. Like there are unwritten rules in... Baseball, let's say, some yeah. of which you agree with, some of which you think are complete bullshit. Which unwritten rules in baseball do you think are bullshit? Unwritten rules. I mean, I do think, you know, if a guy pimps a homer a little bit, you know, I think we're over that, hopefully. Um, That's why I was surprised to see Abreu drill Garcia like he did. Pardon me? That's why I was surprised to see Abreu drill Garcia like he did, even though he did. And he, he really pimped it. And by the way, all you Rangers fans and congratulations are hypocrites because you guys couldn't wait to drill Jose Batista. And I love the little the little nuances that fan bases will, will, like a lawyer, completely get away from the main thing that that was as demonstrative, if not more, of a pimp job because – yeah, but he was doing it to his dugout because he was. I'm like, no, in baseball, that, that was a long pimp job. So it didn't shock me that Abreu threw at him, and it didn't shock me that Chapman threw at Chaz McCormick. And I love – God, I, I can't wait to be done with Twitter. It's exhausting. Do you think Do you think that he really threw at Chaz McCormick? Because Chapman he is – He threw fucking behind him at 104. He's never done that. Am I – Absolute about it because everyone has to be absolute now. Everything's got to be a hundred percent, even though we're adult, and ninety percent is not absolute. No, I'm not absolute, but yes, I do think he did. I'm just, I'm, I'm not attacking you. I just know that a Roldis Chapman is extremely wild, and even though that wasn't his higher pressure situation, that really sees that come out of him. Um, I, I trust you. That's why. That's why I asked. Like that hadn't even crossed my mind until I just heard you say that just now. But I also haven't been on Twitter a ton. He's I was on Twitter during the game, and I've been on it here and there today. But I have not seen that particular element. And by the way, you're right, Rangers Rangers fans who are incensed about that. Like when it happened, I was like, yeah, I can see how he just threw at him there because he really did pimp that home run. I wasn't upset. I was more confused than anything else. It's like, wow, that is a gutsy move. Yeah, throw at a guy when you're down by two and there's a runner on first and no outs. No, I mean, it, both situations, usually 90, I'm usually 90% sure when a guy's throwing at someone, if not more, both those are up for debate. But to continuously like just argue it, it's like, all right, dude. I mean, I gave a five word tweet last night saying, you know, I was waiting for that. 
or uh, along those lines. And, you know, I mean, just the, the back and forth. Twitter should be abolished. Social media should be abolished. Uh, it, 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 the good parts don't outweigh the bad parts. And we all just need to really focus on living and breathing. Every day. I hey, so, how, so how are you doing today? I'm good. Every day I consider getting rid of my Twitter account. I'm not, that, that's oh. not even an overstatement. Every day I consider deleting it. The second I'm done with this, which will probably be sooner rather than later, um, it, I, I probably won't even delete it. I just won't tweet for eight years, which, mm -hmm. which will be great. Um, but for my other job too, which is more important than this, it, it you know, it still is helpful. Um, and I've also made friends off of it and, and acquaintances. So there are good parts, but just the, just the back and forth, like let someone fucking give an opinion and, and they may state their case and it's like, okay, we can agree to disagree, but I probably know a lot more baseball than you. That's my guess. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty educated guess there for a lot of people. Well, congratulations. How you feeling, man? Um, the Rangers who were left for dead and all y'all left them for dead. And understandably so, like I talk about Longhorn fans, I appreciated the Rangers fans and their objectivity and not being a straight up fan, a fanatic and saying, we suck. We've blown this. We have no bullpen. We, we have to go to Tampa, then Baltimore, and then probably the Astros. And there's no way. But you got through it, man. That's a resilient team and one that I I watched a ton this year. And it was fun to kind of see them go through all that. And, I mean, I thought this whole series was great. It, it was good theatrics, good baseball, and also gets me fired up for next year because there probably will be some headhunting next year. Maybe, but more than anything else – and obviously last night was a great moment for this Rangers franchise. Houston has had a ton of those in the last seven years now. And it's funny to see both Astros and Rangers fans show why this series was so special by continuing to chirp at one another. Now that the series is over with Astros fans are saying Rangers fans are like Aggies. They're acting like they just won the world series. And all they did was win an ALCS, win a couple, couple of world championships and talk to me. And Rangers fans who are excited are also letting the Astros fans have it that buried the Rangers after game five. And by the way, I don't blame Astros fans for burying the Rangers after game five. That was a colossal gut punch that a lot of teams don't rebound from. But you said the word a few minutes ago, resilient. This is a resilient, this is a gritty bunch. This is a group of guys that has been through some highs and lows in a season where nobody really expected them to do jack. You thought that they would be better because of the, some of the signings from the last few years and bringing DeGrom over to serve as your ace. And the biggest move of all, which was to talk Bruce Bochy out of retirement and huge props to Chris Young for doing that. But they lose DeGrom early to an arm injury. They suffer other injuries to the rotation, to their bullpen, to their lineup. Seager ends up missing chunks of time on two different occasions. Josh Young, of course, injures his thumb and has to miss a significant amount of time. They make some deadline deals. They get Jordan Montgomery and Max Scherzer. 
Scherzer ends up going down with an injury that's supposed to knock him out for the season in early September. All the while, they build up a 10-plus game lead in the AL West, only to see it melt away in the matter in a matter of a month. And they get the lead back. In the final day of the season, they lose that lead, lose the first round by in the playoffs, and it was probably the best possible thing for them because it forces them to get right back out there against not just a tough foe, a team that had the second best record in the AL, the Tampa Bay Rays, and they dispose of them quickly. And then they take on we're, the best. We're also really banged up. Really banged up. You're right about that. Texas is also a banged up team. So um, not as banged up, though. I, I will give you that. And then they take on an Orioles team that had the best record in the AL, but they're a young bunch. So you had a feeling that they might fold. They did. Astros take care of business against the Twins. And that sets up this rivalry series where Houston has been really dominant over the last seven years now. And um, at that point, if you're a Rangers fan, you realize that you're playing with found money, that the Astros, in a weird way, have more pressure on them than you do because nobody expected you to get here. You win the first two in Houston and very fittingly drop the next three in Arlington, which Houston has just been insane on the road. I think they finished the year winning 19 of the last 22 or something like something ridiculous like that. I've never it's seen it like this, man. Insane. In and, the, and then down 3-2, you go win two more in Houston. I mean, this team has not lost on the road this year, and they've played more games on the road than they have at home. If there is a – whatever the opposite of a silver lining of this World Series appearances for the Rangers is that they have home field advantage in this series. Now, yeah. I think they'll actually win uh, at least one, if not uh, more than one game, because they will have Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Eovaldi for three of those starts. Um, it's just this bizarre and magical year continues for the Rangers. Thanks in part to a starting rotation that got it shit together at the right time. Well, in a sense they did a bullpen that has been a lot better in the playoffs, far from perfect and a lineup that has struggled in this series, but man, they got it together at the right time and Adolis Garcia. Wow. What can you say about a guy who, just going back to game six, had four strikeouts heading into his final at bat on the night two nights ago with the bases loaded, hits a grand slam that effectively puts that game away, and then he just continues swinging a hot bat last night, sets a playoff record for most RBI in a series. The first guy to ever hit two home runs in a game seven. Almost and, three, by the way. Uh, that was that was close. What's that? Almost three home runs. Oh, you're talking about the uh, the long single that should have been a double? Yeah. I mean, fucking run, dude. I that that one annoyed me, but he also I know he stole second. I know he stole second to make up for it, but just run. Stop stop pimping stuff that isn't four eighty five, okay? You don't you don't have to pimp every every hard ball that you hit. I get, I get, I get it. I've come to accept it some of the time. I understand yeah. it's a part of the game now. It's young guys having fun. It gets fucking excessive, though, and it takes away from your actual talent, too, if you do it to that degree. It's all good if it's young guys having fun. That's where I'm not an old guy, and I think that should change, and it, 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 
it brings a little energy and youth into it, and that's a good thing. But when it affects the team, that's not a good thing. You know, then it turns into the NBA, and you're just an individual looking to score points and and, 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 and pimp everything. Yeah, and well, and well, last night with this stoic Rangers team, because this is a very stoic roster, other than Fair. Garcia, right? Like he he provided a uh, a sort of boost to the rest of this lineup. It feels like. Yeah. I mean, those guys were feeding off of his energy. No and doubt. In the end, Texas wins this one going away. It was strange to watch this game in the last three innings because even though it is, you know, as I texted you at sports and anything can happen, and it's also the Rangers' bullpen, and anything can definitely happen in that situation. Even when LeClerc was struggling uh, at the start of the ninth, it was still going to take no. an insane effort for Houston to get back in this game. And ultimately, Texas puts it away. So, so it's 8-2, and I text Trey, and I say, man, congrats. You know, um, and I told you this, what, four or five days ago. The Rangers are the better team in the series. Yeah. Someone just objectively watching this who really knows baseball, they're the better team in this series. They weren't all year. They were some of the year. They certainly weren't the last part of the year. They're the better team in this series. And Trey was like – wanted no part of that of eight two like in the seventh he was like no 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 and i also get where you're coming from every rangers fan i talked to or was texting back and forth with was just saying no it's our bullpen and i've also watched them probably more than all y'all this year so i i was well aware of and you've watched them a ton but i mean i i've watched the rangers like i would have been a hardcore fan there you know, dressed out in our Rangers gear. But I just love baseball, and they're on the most tier because of Fox Sports Southwest. So I so I ended up watching them, and they're a fun young team. I didn't think they'd go this far, but I also understood the apprehension y'all had. Baseball is a weird, superstitious uh, sport, so you don't want to, with Texas games, I'm like, dude, we're up 11-1. We've got J. Brent Cox and Houston Street. I'm not going to call it yet. It's like, dude. Ball game's over, okay? But with your bullpen, it actually gave some weird drama, even though it was a blowout. Yeah, but Jordan Montgomery being a part of the bullpen uh, took away a lot of the drama. Coming in at the end of the second like he did and pitching the next couple of innings, like that was a big sigh of relief because at that point you didn't have to rely at all. It was the third, I think, right? Into the third, excuse me, into the third through the next couple of innings. Uh, and you didn't really, you didn't have to worry at all about Andrew Heaney coming into the game, about Dane Dunning coming into the game, Martin Perez, like name another guy in that bullpen, Will fucking Smith, which just don't even like fi find somebody else that you could roll out there if you really need to. Will Smith does not need to be a part of the World Series roster. No, I, I'd, I'd rather have Jada on there. <laughs> yeah, who's the uh, who's the kid? Who's the androgynous kid in their family? I have no idea. Uh, uh, Jaden, maybe, because, of course, they named the son after the mom. But uh, you got to go from uh, Jordan Montgomery to uh, Sorbitz, who... He's been great this postseason. He's been maybe your best arm, LeClerc included. 
Spores, I believe, right? Spores, excuse me. Yeah. Chapman does Chapman things, and then you get to use LeClerc in an extended manner too because he didn't have to pitch a second inning in game six. Yeah, you could argue Spores is their best high leverage reliever right now. Yeah. Um, Whatever. Right, obviously right there with that argument. Yeah, and the Chapman deal is weird. When Chapman got traded, Chapman looked really – he almost looked like Yankees Chapman. He looked in his prime. Really yeah, he was playing on a shitty Royals team. That's the, the best situation for him is just being the closer on a bad team. But he looked good with the Rangers early on. He did. As the yeah, Rangers. He looked, he, looked, he looked lights out for probably two or three weeks and then just lost it. He didn't lose it hitting the back of a hamstring at 104. But um, once again, I'm not an absolutist because I'm not nine. So maybe maybe he did just yank that one. Um I will say on both beans or hit by pitches, if you want to get real subtle with baseball, well, you should have plunked this guy. The situation didn't matter. The situation with Abreu definitely didn't, I mean, didn't make any sense at all, right? And and this one, you're up eight, five outs to go. You owe them one. It made a little bit more sense. But – Sometimes the subtlety in baseball is to actually hit a guy who you're not going to obviously hit and do it in a situation where you're not going to obviously do it if you know you're still going to win the game. Now, Brayu didn't match that. That I think that was more him just that kind of Latin red ass, which I love, and, and saying, no, screw you, and, and you pimped it too hard, and we're going to lose this game, or if we lose this game, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it – you know, it it made no sense to do that. But the funny thing about that was how Adolis turned that around. I mean, talk about revenge. Think about since that, since he was hit in War 99, which 99, even if there's meat there, doesn't feel good. By the way, how do you think Mitch Garber's feeling today with 98? Oh, my God. That like, wasn't. It, that was not. I don't know if anybody's claiming yeah. it was. That was not intentional. It was not intentional. He, so you know, it says four seamer up there. It looks like a two seamer. His arm side run is, yeah. is just getting away from him. And so yeah. arm side run is on your arm side, and it'll run. And it just ran into his ribs. And no, that I don't think that was intentional. And I don't know if all three were intentional. My guess is two of them were Abreu and Chat. But it's only a guess. Yeah, Garver coming out of the game was not a shock because there was no give in him getting hit in the upper ribs like that. Dude, like, the I'm fact surprised he even stayed in the game to run after that. Yeah, the fact that he was on the ground and not just flat and screaming for mommy. I mean, that is like, these are some tough dudes and they're, they're trying to, you know, the machismo and bravado of trying to not make it look like it hurts too much. That was straight in the ribs. Like I, I, I was, I'll be shocked if he doesn't have broken ribs, right? Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I would still be on the ground flopping. Totally agree, Robert. Um, but no, th- this was overall a great series. I know it was tough for all y'all. I mean, I, I'm trying to go through, and I probably have more Dallas friends, but it may be 55-45. I'm born and raised in Austin. I've done a lot of different things. I've got buddies from both. And 
like we had never seen this. This was kind of what I was hoping was it was that 93, the Bills game. I don't mean to bring this back. 92 or 93. What the fuck? I'm getting to a point. I'm asking because I forgot because I've watched so much sports like you have over the years that one year, you know, 35 years ago doesn't. So 92? I think it's 92. I think it's 92. Let me look it up, though. I'm terrible with years when but, it comes to these things. But this is uh, what we only wanted. Yeah, it was the uh, – technically it was in 93. Yeah, January 3rd, 1993. 92 season, though. 92 season, though, right. Um, yeah. Probably why I was confused in that. But that was what we wanted. We've never really had that. We've never had the Mavericks and Rockets go, go toe-to-toe. I don't know if the Spurs have ever faced them. Uh, they have, obviously, in, in – I should take that back. Obviously, in, in Western Conference, maybe finals. But, you know, this was what Oilers-Cowboys was going to be, and we just didn't get it. We should have gotten it. But it, I don't remember, like, this much of vitriol back and forth. And it was uh, – dude, it, as someone watching from the sidelines, this was great. I loved it. Yeah, if Houston sports had a rivalry with any other city, any other Texas city, going back through most of our lifetimes, what was it? It wasn't Dallas because that opportunity wasn't there. It was San Antonio. San Antonio, right. Because the Spurs Rockets back in the 90s. Yep. But even that was fleeting. Like, that wasn't there in the 1980s. That was just there in the 90s. I didn't realize that Houston and Dallas people disliked one another so much until I came to UT. And then also the little time I spent at Texas tech, knowing people from both and me having roots in Houston and obviously growing up in Dallas, I was like, Oh wow. You people really hate one another. That's funny that you didn't know that. Cause I've said this for years and said it probably on this podcast that growing up in Austin, I, I never had any idea. And it would have been my freshman year. And I remember we were going out, we're going out to, to 6th Street, and we're going to go hit on some chicks, right? And these guys at the bar could not stop Dallas and Houston guys. We're just getting after each other. And I said, guys, we have an objective here. One, we're one, trying to have some fun. But I had no idea that existed. And, of course, I told them, which was true back in the day. I don't know if it is now. But I go, look, Austin's the best city in Texas, big city. So keep your little whining to yourself. But I couldn't believe it really. It really was college for me, too, where I had no idea that existed. I mean, there were two big cities in Texas that I didn't want to live in. Yeah, I think maybe the reason there's a couple of reasons why I didn't realize it previously. One, I was sheltered by my family, I guess, in Houston. So whenever I was in Houston, I wasn't just hanging out at sporting events or bars or clubs or anything. I was just, I was hanging out with my family. So they're not going to throw overt Dallas hate my way necessarily. And then the other aspect of it is that Dallas and Houston teams never really played one another. If they did, it was some sort of one-off with like the Oilers and Cowboys being scheduled, being on one another's regular season schedule. Right. And both teams might have been decent some of those years in the the early to mid nineties, um, but it wasn't it wasn't near the thing that it is now. 
They were more than decent. I mean, I, I really felt like the Oilers and Cowboys should have played the Super Bowl instead of the Bills that year. And by the way, who would you take in that game? So we've got Warren Moon, the run and shoot, which is still pretty novel at that point. Can you give me the four receivers on that Oilers run? Um, Ernest Givens, Drew Hill, Haywood Jeffries, and Curtis Duncan. Oh, fun, sir. Can you give me the fifth one? UT guy, 5'7". Tony Jones. Arkansas, 87. Tony Jones, baby. Yeah. And they always had a bunch of running backs, even though they only had one. They had Alonzo Highsmith, Gary Brown, yep. uh, Pinkett, uh, yep. probably a couple others. And they always Lincoln had – White. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I mean, there were like four of them that were really good. Bruce Matthews as your anchor, pretty good line. That Those were good Oiler teams. That was the Super Bowl we should have had. I'll tell you that it's hard to say this because they gave up the lead that they did against Buffalo, but that's because of the stupid fucking prevent defense. The defense was good too. The 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 prevent defense will trigger me for the rest of my life because of that game. But right. yeah, so the deep the defense was underrated. They were good that year. It was Lamar Lathan, you had our guy Jerry Gray in the back end, Chris Dishman. I think um, that was a little bit post Jerry Gray because the Jerry safeties were Dumas and oh fuck who's the other guy Jerry Gray was on that team Jerry Gray was not on the uh not on that 92 team I'm pretty sure Uchiko we're betting Uchiko on this okay oh shit are you that confident maybe I should take it to like you know Avenue B grocery (laughs) I don't want to deal with the sandwich Nazi again uh he's a nice guy he's just on too many drugs (laughs) okay well i'm going to the houston oilers 1992 roster now so uchiko on one of the two of us but uh their defensive line was good they had ray childress sean jones yeah sean jones was a hell of a player ray childress jeff alm rest in peace all right here bubba mcdowell was the other safety huh Bubba McDowell and Marcus Robertson were the two safeties. Their cornerbacks, Chris Dishman, good job there. That is one of the ugliest dudes in the history of football. Steve Jackson was the other corner. Wilbur Marshall was a linebacker. Al Smith, Uh Eddie Robinson. And the defensive line was William Fuller, Ray Childress, Glenn Montgomery, and Sean Jones. Well, I wasn't talking starter. I was talking on the roster. Oh, on the roster? Okay. Jerry Gray... Yeah, I'm sorry, friend. He wasn't on the 92 Oilers. I, I'm i going to look that up. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's no way you went to the whole roster and looked that up after looking at the starters and two seconds later, you go, no, nope, he's not there. I've got the roster right here, and it's alphabetical too. All right. Well, keep it light on me, okay? We'll go for uh, – we'll go for – Happy hour, but I ruined yeah. happy hour. I ruined happy hour. There are two. Uh, I know. I, I'm so annoyed about that. I'm not annoyed at you. I'm annoyed that they uh, they realize that they're giving too good of a deal. There's three Longhorns on this roster, by the way. You named one with Tony Jones. Tony Jones. Um, the other two are linemen. Offensive linemen? Yep. One is a former first-round draft pick. Stan Thomas on that team? Yes. Great call. I didn't uh, even right. remember Stan Thomas was on. Well, with Stan Thomas, Uchiko's split now. No, it's not. Um, let's go. <laughs> Shit. Um, the other one was a guard. 
Everyone was a god. Our guards sucked ass in the '80s. Who the fuck would that have been? Um, um, you you will know the name for sure. I mean, you'll know the name because it's you, but you will also know the name because he's a, a decently known guy. It's not Dan Neal. Um, I don't know who was he. Doug Dawson. Oh, Doug Dawson. Yeah, who would have been older at that point? And I have to apologize because Drew Hill was no longer a part of the team in this year. The fourth wide receiver, God, they got him from Cleveland. He was really good for the for the Oilers too. Webster, Webster Slaughter. Yeah. Webster yeah. Slaughter led the team in catches and yards that year. This is hilarious. The Oilers were run and shoot, which, you know, they threw the ball all over the place. Their receivers, their top four receivers, had 77, 66, 68, and 41 catches. <laughs> so, I mean, it was it, that was a lot for football back then, but that's but, really even bad an eye to see stats like that right now. But it was also amazing. The reason people thought the run and shoot wouldn't work back then, one was red zone issues. Yeah. We called those Sark issues even back then. Oof. Um, but it was because, you know, Everything wasn't skewed toward the offense with legislation. Yeah. Like it is now. So Tony Jones couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. You want to talk about a pretty good release route, you better have one, or else he'll be on his ass. And you could mug a guy even past five yards, although even then five yards was the was the rule. And so it made sense. And also these guys didn't want to go across the middle anymore. Yeah. You've got your head taken off with a concussion, and now they've got to hit you in the hip. And by the way, I think that's a good rule. I think it's a good adjustment. And I'm actually even okay with with not mugging a guy at the line of scrimmage. Have they gone too far? Yeah. And by the way, I've seen this all over college football. It's not just a Texas deal, although the numbers would show you that it's pretty flagrant against Texas. But I see it all over college football. Will you please start calling holding on the offensive lineman? What the fuck? And I mean flagrant holding. Yes. If you close line and tackle a guy and end who beat him off the edge and drag him down, you have to call it. I, I watch a ton of college football. I see it all. It's, it's, it's not ruining the game for me, but I don't like college football as much as I used to. I still like it a lot for a lot of reasons. And that is one of the reasons because – you're doing it to help out the offense. I get that. Because more points means more eyeballs and more views and more advertising. And yay! Most of us who played sports and watch sports, we want fairness. Even if my team loses, keep it fair. I want to be brought at the end of the game say, you know what? Like the, like the Astros came today. You know what? We lost. And that's it. And I, I, it's tough, but I can swallow that. When you've got flagrant holds that aren't being called, call that. What are you doing? Call it. Keep this stuff somewhat, somewhat fair, even though it's not going to be there. But you've got to start calling it. I completely agree. And the other thing, too, I don't like I don't understand why these things are getting so away from these refs. Maybe they're being told to just completely ignore them. But false starts. Why the fuck are we not calling false starts anymore? Like, I understand it's one thing if the tackle is taking that half step back before the ball is not. That should be called, by the way. That's yeah. an unfair advantage for the well, offensive tackle. But if he's lined up in the backfield to deal with that edge rusher, 
illegal formation, a period, right? Absolutely. But I saw an example of a wide receiver. God, I forget if this was college or NFL. I think it was NFL, where the receiver literally flinched before the ball was snapped, and it was right in front of the ref. And so yeah. you assume the play was blown dead. Nope, nothing. Play was allowed to happen. No flags got pulled out for illegal motion or illegal shift or anything else that you could call in that moment. The guy was just allowed to act like he was about to leave the line of scrimmage, and then he didn't. You remember the CFL when a guy was able to start 10 yards back and just come running straight? Yeah. The Dolphins do that. They'll send Tyreek in motion, and he's moving towards the line of scrimmage before the snap. Interesting. You have to call that. I know your upper bosses have told you offense sells like they have in the NBA, like they have in Major League Baseball. Call it, okay? We're not dumb. Most of us have been watching all three of these for a long time. We see what you're doing. It's like the basketball was so desperate. The NBA specifically was so desperate for offense that they started just flagrantly allowing travel. Like yes. this feels like one of those moments right. right now with football where I don't care what your rationalization is. It's not good for the sport. It's bad for no. the sport. And once again, the hand checks and the mugging that Jordan and guys got in the eighties, it needed to change a little yes, bit. It did not to help out the offense to make it more fair because yep. you shouldn't yep. be able to do that. And so once they move a little bit and once they realize what really brings in dollars, and brings in people that really don't care about the sport, but just want to see fireworks and home runs and touchdowns and threes and dunks, then they just jump on it. Because at the end of the day, they don't give a shit about the sport. I repeat this for the last 20 years. They don't give a shit about the sport. They care about money and shareholders and advertising. That's it. Let's call them out. This is the 1% we talked about last week that do this with with business and everything we see they don't care about you they care about their bottom dollar and these are the people that we need to put in prison that may be a little too tough but probably not <laughs> some of them do deserve prison maybe not and by the way the nfl specifically and let's go ahead and throw college football in there too they don't give a fuck about their own players they definitely don't care about oh, the god the whole we care about student athletes or we care about the health of our players. No, you don't. Just stop. Oh. You, you, you care about lawsuits that are coming. Yeah. If Once again, getting back to you care about that. That's right. That's why college football officials right now, the people most responsible for the future of, you can say college athletics, but it really all comes down to college football. Any NIL legislation that they're trying to push right now always includes what? that the universities will be excused from ever having to consider the guys who are playing football for them and making them millions upon millions of dollars to ever have to consider them employees of the yeah. university or the athletics department because there's a whole different batch of issues that come into play when you do that. But by the way, considering how they're streamlining this whole thing, and collectives now have to be or about to have to be officially associated with the athletics department. And the athletics department is essentially going to be doling the money out. What the fuck are they if they're not employees? That's exactly what's happening here. And that was people's, you know, that was a lot of people's um, concern about out allowing NIL to begin with because it would eventually turn into this. I knew it would too, but I also 
uh, didn't feel like fighting that fight. It's like, yeah, there's billions of dollars being made in this sport. These guys need to be hooked up a little bit more than that. I understand it's going to completely change things in, in a way that sucked. That's also the evolution of the sport itself. But that is a byproduct of this, is that these guys are going to need to be compensated properly, and you're probably going to have to continue looking after them after they're done playing for your school, too. Yeah, and that's okay. They, they've made you a lot of money. And, for, and I'm probably a small percentage listening to us. For anyone who's, who's, I'm sure, a great person because you're thinking, well, you guys are just being negative and cynical about this. No, God bless you, and, and you're probably being a rube about this. Trey and I just aren't like, this is, I said I'm not absolute on most things, and I'm not because I'm 45. I'm pretty absolute about this. For those wondering about how this would affect Title IX, because I know there are a few of you out there, this would actually help Title IX too. You know how? Yep. Because football is taken off the books, and you're not having to fake it with scholarships for female athletes for 100-person um, crew teams. So that facade completely goes away and you can actually focus on the sports that you have kids truly committing in versus rich kids who are finding backdoor ways to get into these universities by becoming members of crew or pick another sport that has a ton of people on the roster, even if only a select few actually get to play. All right. So we're going to go full bore on, I want Omakase. Um, at Uchiko because uh, Jerry Gray played from the Rams from 85 to 91, played for the Oilers in 92, and then the Bucks in 93. Wow. I remember, I remember seeing video re-watching that and seeing him on there. Interesting. Well, he's it's not on oh, – this is the 93 roster. God damn it. I said 92, Twitter. I said 92. I didn't even say Twitter. I said 92, Internet. God don't, damn it. Don't fuck with this sports-wise. You know this. Uh, you know yeah, this. I thought Gary Brown as the starting running back didn't sound right. It was Lorenzo White. Webster yep. Potter was on the team. Was Alan Pinkett on there still? Uh, I think Pinkett was. Let's see. No, Pinkett was not on the team at this time. Oh, boy. There he is, Jerry Gray. Well, my apologies. Hey, he really did not play a ton for this. No, he did. He did. So Um, now now I'm the one paying for Uchiko. Great. Thanks a lot, Jerry Gray. (laughs) Jerry Gray was my first, my first favorite Texas players. Billy Bates, obviously in baseball. Uh, Mike Wacker in basketball would have been after the knee injury. So it wasn't the same Mike Wacker. He would have been in 82 when Baylor took his knee out on purpose. Another absolute I will give. Um, and then it was Jerry Gray. So, And my so, apologies, not only did Jerry Gray play, or not only did he play, he started and he had six interceptions on the year. So I am really wrong about this one. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to add to it. Let's get Uni. I want nothing but Uni and, uh, and Flaw. Oh, I need to take you to that place in Dallas then. My goodness. They're uh, uni prefor- pre- uh, prepared four ways is out of this world. 
this is this is where I'm at in life. I had a buddy at Penn State, Ohio State. Like, I, I will find out where y'all are eating and get on the website and just check it out. It just says a lot about me as a food nerd. It says a lot about me and really not having a lot going on in life, which I want. So um, I'm happy that way. But yeah, I mean, when you and your buddy were there, I checked. I was like, hey, give me the name again. And Trey's like asleep. He's like, yeah, here's the name. So I get online and I'm checking everything out. And this is how I get online, by the way. Like Elton John on crack. Um, but I checked it out through the pictures of the of that. Like it's a trio. It looks so good. Yeah. It looks a little douchey as a place. It had some Dallas feel to it, but I don't care about that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you're probably right about that. It's you know, there's some there are definitely some differences in the Dallas and Austin food food scene. Like Dallas tries harder to represent itself as more upscale. Like you don't run into a whole lot of dress codes here in Austin. Yeah. I've had to not go places because of a dress code. Or I've had to uh, to be very careful about how I'm dressing because it's like, oh, you have to wear pants here. It's like pants. It's fucking 105 degrees outside in the dead of summer. Are you sure? Pants? Just so I can go eat a steak and pasta? Yeah. No, Dallas is more like that. I want to say this place when I read up on it that you needed a... Was this one you need a blazer or no? No. No. This is a place that I did have to wear pants, though, unfortunately. Oh, God. How how dare you? You know, no flip-flops and pants, you know? What do you want, underwear and deodorant, too? Yeah, we're we're trying to run somewhat of a civilized restaurant here. Do you mind? I just gone to Texas OU. And Oklahoma had won the game. And it was fucking buddy. Your buddy lived above. shorts your buddy lived above the place like you can shower and then go down there and put on jeans bro he's a member at this restaurant yes yeah. so i for him a member oh, i did read that too yeah a member yeah. oh that is ugh. <laughs> it's like driftwood or soho house which are actually great places to do business and i don't mind either of them but i mean i, I was never <laughs> well no they are i mean i I've had good times there, but I know um, it's just not- like you're like, oh, membership, disgusting. It's like these two places, which are actually okay places. Yeah, they're actually okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to pay your rate for it. It's like country clubs, you know. I'll go play golf somewhere else. No, no, no. That's why it's good to have friends who are members, so that you can just enjoy. Right. You can reap the benefits of uh, the the qualities of the place without actually having to uh, to fully commit. That's exactly what I do. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's really not admirable, but eh, whatever. Hmm. You know, th- this shouldn't surprise you. You know that I'm not a big go back and watch games guy myself. I've never gone back and watched the Texas football national championship game. I've certainly never whoa, gone whoa, back. Whoa, 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 whoa. You've never gone back and watched Texas USC? No. So you never watched me on LHN then, huh? I watched a couple of fashion shows. Fuck you. <laughs> God. I mean, you know, I do like when times bring me back to chemo. <laughs> so it the problem my, with my lust for life back, you know? Well, the problem with when you were on LHN is that I was living in Chicago. 
most of that time. I just didn't have access to the channel. Yeah. Like I would turn it to LHN if I was ever around a TV that had LHN, which was, I guess, when I came back and visited certain places. And so I would get to see you from time to time. But otherwise, I was screwed out of that channel because it was rolled out so poorly. And ESPN insisted on whatever, whatever their politics were with LHN back in the day. So, no, I was I was actually frustrated by that because you were a reason for me to watch that and maybe getting to check out the Texas-USC game a couple times a day. But I'm shocked you haven't rewatched that. I mean, I, I probably rewatched that within the next week 15, 20 times. I, other than games that I'm watching that literally just happened a day or two before, I don't know if I've ever like gone back and watched a sporting event that I know the outcome. Wow. It's a lot healthier than, than what a lot of us do, including myself. But I mean, I, I would have gone back and rewatched that game probably twice that night until eight in the morning. Yeah, I think I remember you telling me that specifically. Like you went and did post game and then you came back and watched the game again a couple of times. Yeah, smoked a couple bowls and was like, hey, let's go here. You know, let's just enjoy life. And you and I smoked a couple bowls when we were watching the first half. Yeah, no, no, I I, I needed to then. But no, I'm much more. Young Stewie. Stewie was, God, was Stewie still a kitten then? Did I have them at that point? Oh, maybe you didn't. I would have gotten him right around that spot. And I got Stewie when he was eight weeks, which is too early with TJ. But yeah, I, I probably I probably did have them. I remember both of those cats in that apartment, but you lived in that apartment for a couple of years. So now I'm questioning that. Which is right near where BK lives in South Austin off, off Brody. And it was a good apartment. It was Sedona. And I had a cool spot. And for a one bedroom, I got a two bedroom now. So I've got plenty enough space but for one bedroom it actually had space had a washer dryer in there and and yeah I, I like that spot man yeah i don't know what it is i realize i'm getting buried on the youtube comments line probably the uh the text line right now too i i don't have a good reason as to why i like not once i can watch that game did Are you have it recorded on vhs no. no you never thought about asking one of your best friends who has 300 games recorded. I mean, I made sure when I got the VHS to DVD deal, which, you know, you know I'm into something when I buy new technology. And I made sure I knew VHSs were going out of style. And I started recording VHS college football games in 85. So, I mean, you talk about, you know, 88, probably had six Notre Dame games, 89. I mean, all the, the whole run. I mean, how I had Colorado, Michigan taped. So mm-hmm. I made sure I used, put all those onto DVDs with the conversion. And that was the first one. And I made sure I made three of them. Where I've got three of those to where it can't go anywhere. And then I bought it on DVD when it came out again, just to make sure that when I'm 61 and retired, hopefully I will be, that I can go back and pull my pants down and watch that game. No homo, though. So I, I do a version of what, Dave at ATX 512 mentions here. I've watched, I've rewatched parts of it. I've rewatched certain highlights. I'm gone back and watched that fourth and one play that the Texas defense stifles. That's probably the play I've watched more than any from that game. Just to see the beauty of that play and all the little things that guys were doing who didn't necessarily get credited for a tackle on that play. I get that, but the, but the Griffin pick 
the Jamal, like, I mean, just coming out of smoke early on. My favorite play in that whole game is Vince running left and looking to throw and then just takes off. So we've been in the third quarter and takes off and almost parked it. Um, and you could hear Dan Fouts, who I thought Dan Fouts did a really good job. Keith Jackson should never have been on that game. He's a legend. I get it. I get that people treat their play-by-play guys way – they look up them way too much. And he was a great one. But he was past his prime. But you could hear Fouts as a quarterback, just the awe. You could hear it the year before against Michigan, the awe of, oh, my God. This guy is something we've never – ever seen before and he almost parked that against that usc defense which was not the 04 usc defense it was the 05 no they still had some obviously they still had nfl talent on that roster but they weren't nearly as good not like 04 and you know we did a month leading up to that and, and broke down every single angle and I said Texas will win. It'll be really close in the shootout. Ended up being right about that. Certainly been wrong about games. But it was mainly because the 04, the Kenechi Udesi, Mike Patterson, Omar Nazel, and Sean Cody. Um, those guys were gone, man. Lofa Tatupu was gone. The year before even that, Troy Puamala was gone. You had Darnell Bing, who was a big recruit, but ran a 4-7. It was not not the you had the you had the Ting brothers as walk-ons in there. That was not that good of a USC defense. Yeah, but watching old games, it's not my thing. I'll watch. I don't even watch a ton of reruns of TV shows. I'll do it with a couple of series. God, this is what's so funny about us. That is my life: is rewatching stuff I like over and over again. Yeah, I, I know. TV shows. I've watched Seinfeld a bunch, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, there's another show that I'm forgetting right now, but there are shows that I will do that with. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about not going back and watching sports. It's hey. Knowing that the outcome has already, knowing what the outcome is. And that's, that's, the, what, I, that, that's what I like about it. The joy of sports for me is the unknown. Oh, stop living. Um, but yeah, I great, I, I great observation, Cooter. I was waiting for somebody to point this out. Is that a NASA shirt on? Yes. Homage to the defeated Astros or coincidence? I'm gonna start a rumor. Trey hates the Astros and all Astros fans, so he's rubbing it in their nose. No, no, it no. Is, I think Cooter's right. Actually, it is an acknowledgement. Of a hard-fought series. Oh, shut up. A t-shirt handshake to a hard-fought series. And As I my dad forward. told me at nine, trying to get out of something, Kev, just stop. I'm going to give you a little piece of advice for the rest of your life. Don't try and bullshit a bullshit. I'm not bullshitting anybody right now. Dude, I, with the Astros helmets, those two guys there, I know exactly. Dude, that was hilarious. That was fucking hilarious. Hey, by the way, we were, we're cracking up at that one. By the way, we talked about earlier, we, or last week we got into that, uh, you know, where I'm at with humanity now. You can be like me as a nine-year-old Cubs fan with like Cubs shoelaces, Cubs, you know, shoes, Cubs socks, Cubs sweatpants. 
cub jacket, cub shirt, cub hat. And I'm actually, I can deal with it. That's too far. I think we can all agree on that. Right? Can you imagine what? going to a game and wearing that? Oh, well, it's too far, except it was also hilarious, too. Oh, it's hilarious, but j- just for the practicality of it. Right. All right. Uh, Jeff Al is on now, guys. I got to run. Grab the kid real quick. I'll be back in a few. All right. Sounds good. Have fun with that, Trey. What's up, Katie? How are you doing, sir? What were you guys talking about? Practicality of what? The uh, the two Astros fans who have the, the whole space shuttle thing. Like, I mean, I, it's just, I, look, I get if you want to paint your face and you're an adult and, and a lot of people are going to mock you. All right. That's not too much. But like the practicality of having the bubble over yeah. your head. It's like, dude, I, I'm at game seven. I paid a lot for these. And I, I want to watch it. You, know? hey, you remember uh, what NCAA video game was it? Was it 02 or 03 where if you played with Texas, uh, first off, I figured an Aggie worked on that game because the arc where it used to say Joe Jamail Field before the south end zone, it said Texas University. I'm like, okay. I remember that. Yep. But you remember you it would pan the crowd, right? And the the Texas fans would have like the hand go and hook them on their heads. And I'm like, dude, it looked like a couple of penises. Yeah. Like it was <laughs> it was it was the worst. I was like the, was you the know, worst I never thing thought ever. about it. You're exactly right. And Aggie probably worked on that game. Yeah, yeah. Um I've well, got how are you doing? Because you're a Houston guy, are you not? Or you're yeah, an Astros I'm an Astros guy, guy. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the fact that the bullpen was just uh, – the bullpen wasn't great, and you got you got two really awful starting pitching performances, game six and game seven. Yeah. It was, it was the 2019 World Series all over again. Because, yeah. And, you know, if you don't – if you can't win one – and four shots in your own house, then you didn't deserve to win it. And like that series, Katie, in, in 19, I, I ended up feeling like, you know what, the, the better team won at yeah, the end of the day. Did. That's, you know, that's what yeah. it is. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like you were cheated or, oh, man, if this would have went the baseball no. guys were in it. No, man, you just – you got – you you lost the better. I – Win or lose, man. I I wish we got a better game seven because I was I was texting I was texting the group last night and I was kind of joking. I'm like, I'm about to turn this effing game off, but I'm like, it's yeah. over. It's over in the first inning. Yeah. No, no, like. it, and and with their with their pain, I didn't feel like that. When it got to eight two, it felt over with. And with someone truly with no dog in the fight, although I told Trey, he asked me, I was like, I'm gonna have a better feel. It's gonna be close. Cause I did, I mean. I promise you, I watch more Rangers game than 90% of their fan base. Oh, yeah. Mainly because I watch, you know, way too much baseball. From, if, you got, if you've got from, Bally's on your cable package, then you kind of have no choice, right? I can tell you every pregame chick. I can <laughs> tell you a Hawk who just started, who's good, former guard, uh, D1 guard. She was kind of a scrub, but is good-looking girl. Married to um, Colton Hawk, I believe, Stanford pitcher. Uh, I, I can give you all that, but I, so you'd think I'd be a Rangers guy. I, I I don't hate the Astros like a lot of people do, and as a baseball guy, I love the way they play. And mm-hmm. I think because they're at the end of their run and the Rangers are at the beginning, I wanted the Astros to win this slightly. So I'm not like you or hardcore fans where it burned. I actually enjoyed watching post game. Was happy for him. Thought this is great, but. Yeah. 
I uh, I wanted a I wanted a tighter game seven, and at that point, if it's four four in the eighth, man, whoever wins it, let's go. You know, I've told I've told Trey this. We were talking about this last week. As an Astros fan, you know, uh, I used to tell you like, man, you you've always got seventeen, and then we know what happened, what happened with the investigation and everything. And I, I honestly think after all that, I've really enjoyed you know the last three seasons, really the last four, because I I think in this run. As an Astros fan, the proudest I've felt, as weird as it sounds, was the 2020 season when they got to a game seven with Tampa. Granted, it was it was a neutral site and it was a weird year, and like half the teams in baseball got into the playoffs. And it could have been a lot worse for them had there been fans in the stands. I, I get that. But the fact that they went through all that, you know, firing a general manager, firing a manager, it was supposed to tank. And I'm, you know, they, they were they were that close to getting back to a World Series. Uh I was actually, for whatever reason, just really proud of that team. So the the three seasons that have followed that, man, this has been fun for me as an yeah. Astros fan. So that's why it sucks, but I don't I'm I'm not crushed today. You know what I mean? Right. No, I I, I get it. And but yeah, it's I mean, you also have covered so many sports that I think you probably have a an emotional maturity that that most people don't. And I'm not getting on them. I'm more talking about you and the scar tissue and just when you cover stuff, it just changes a little bit, even though you haven't covered the Astros, you've covered so much stuff. You know, you know, you you straddle that line though, Katie, those of us in the, in the business, we straddle that line between uh, emotionally detached and cynical. It's a fine, it's a fine line. It's fine. Oh, no doubt. (laughs) I've been on the ladder a lot. Um, So I, trust me, I, I I totally get it. I mean, I, I did. You know, I had to kind of get back into when I got back into radio, like, hey, th- you actually love this stuff. And yeah. th- this is, you've loved this from the first memory you have. So get back to that and whatever you have to do to not ruin that. Make <laughs> sure that this is around when you're 60 and you just don't get, you know, like yeah. if you called me, if you called me now and said, dude, what do you think about Texas OU? I go, I didn't watch it. Like that should probably break your heart as a friend of mine. Right. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. We need a yeah. wellness check. We need to talk to you. Like, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah. And so it's important to get past that. I will say this because you're a Cowboys fan as well. And I know what pisses you off with the Cowboys so much. <laughs> Jim Crane, after this last year, when you win the World Series, and you fire with James Click. James Click, yeah. And fire the other guy. And then you make the move to go get Montero and Abreu which Abreu got hot to some degree at the end. He did. Those two moves didn't work out. I think Montero had a, what, 508, something like that, ERA. Um, you got to make sure that – and Dana Brown, I think, is good. Dana Brown was at Atlanta. This is getting close or starting to be the very start of what you saw in the early 90s, bro. <laughs> You're obviously bright, man. I don't know how you made your money. It could have even been, been seed money. But to make this amount of money, you're a good business guy. You, yeah. you you know what you're talking about in that world. Stay the hell out. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh um it's to watch Write a check. It, yeah. That's it. Yeah. To watch it be built like the clip. I was when we were at Z Tejas last Thursday, the click thing got brought up. I'm like, you know, how do you feel like you're, you're so you're, you just built, you know, helped rebuild a World Series champion. You're on the field celebrating and you're like, I'm going to be out of a job in three days. 
Yeah. Let me out on my ass in three days. Like, how do you, I yeah. don't I, So, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. You know, I'm cool with Jim Crane to fall. He does a sit back and write checks. But, they, you know, they're at an interesting tipping point, Katie, the Astros are, because, you know, you've got some, you're probably Altuve and or Bregman. You're probably going to sign one, if not both, to, what are going to end up being some bad contracts. Like, you know, you're yeah. going to pay for the whatever good years they have left, knowing that, yeah. you know, the, the chickens are going to come home to roost on the back end. Uh, you know, what does is, what is Justin Verlander want to do at this point? You know, there's a lot of stuff with this organization. I mean, it, it, it was it's weird. So, like, after 17, and they actually ended up guessing right. You know, I figured at that point, okay, between Correa, Springer, uh, Altuve and Bregman, you basically got to pick, okay, which two of these four do we want to build this thing around for the next five to seven years? And they figured, hey, we'll build it around Altuve and Bregman as much as it killed me as a Correa guy. But they 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 guessed right. They picked right with yeah. the two, with the two they got. Route. Now I think you're at the point where you've kind of got to look around at your core, and it's not Altuve and Bregman anymore. It's Jordan, it's Pena, it's Tucker, it's McCormick. Like That's the group that you've got to make sure you keep together for a while. I will say this, yes, but all four of those guys, Altuve showed up the most. Yeah. Because he didn't, it, but all four of those guys didn't produce. And I think he didn't produce all year, but no. all four didn't produce when it mattered. The one that baffles me, because if you would have asked me two months ago, give me the top 10 hitters in baseball, Kevin. One, I would have told you a year ago that Jordan to be the most dangerous one. What about Judge? What about Shohei? What about Trout? No. Jordan's a guy I don't want to face ever. And I think he's proved that. So he's the number one guy you build off of. But man, uh Tube, but mainly Tucker. Like Tucker two two months ago, I would have told you he's a top 10 hitter and it's yeah. about to make a heyday. Guys getting funks and it's baseball, and it's one of the beauties of the sport. They usually don't get that tied up with their swing. I mean, I, there was nothing there, Jeff. Yeah, I'm trying to look at uh, what was he this postseason. I'm trying to find some postseason numbers. Oh, okay. he had to be had to be below the Mendoza line. Uh, let's see. Yeah, 154. Well, this is just in the in the ALCS. Uh, 154. What do you have? Strikeouts, four strikeouts, five walks. Yeah, it just wasn't wasn't great. Hit 143 in the division series. Yeah, it's he. Uh, he played. I, I saw. I, I don't remember who I saw tweeted last night. Came across my timeline. Basically, Kyle Tucker played like an MVP all year until October. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever tweeted that, they're exactly right. I mean, he was that damn good, and also plays a good right field. Can run. He was a thirty thirty guy. Uh, but really, his approach. His approach has gotten so much better the last yeah. couple of years. Seeing the ball and his his bat path is swing path is really good. And it was just, it, it, I think for a lot of us that play baseball, he probably felt this too. It's like, oh, that was me. Like where you're so emotionally and mentally tied up that you can you can almost see it as the pitch is coming and with his swing. And, um, you know, a lot of it was just bad timing too. I mean, baseball is about timing that Adolis gets hot, the Rangers yeah. get hot. They were the better team because they were playing better at that point. They weren't the better team a month before. They were the better team three months before. Like that's the way baseball works. So credit to the Rangers. I, I'm glad you said that because they were the better team. This mm -hmm. The the guy that that uh, Katie is intriguing to me on the Astros because I, I keep I don't know and maybe this is just me 
watching too much college baseball and like waiting for this guy to break out every year. If you ask me, Hey, which of these Astros guys has the best chance to be in the MVP race? I feel like for the last four, four or five years, I've said it's going to be Alex Bregman. Yeah. And it's like the production just keeps slipping every year. Yeah. I just don't know. I mean, I, mean, I know the health hasn't, you know, health hasn't been kind to him at times, but uh, he, you know, he played 161 games in a regular season. He hit 262, 25 bombs, didn't get to 100 yeah. RBI. I mean, it's which isn't bad, by the way. Yeah, it's not bad, but I, it's it's only in in comparison to uh, that's a guy that I know is capable of putting up MVP numbers. Like you look what he did when he finished second in the MVP voting in 19, and maybe that's what it is. I mean, dude hit 41 bombs, 100. Uh, dude hit 41 bombs, hit 296, had a 1015 OPS, and I'm and and that's probably at the point where I started thinking, okay. That's the Alex Bregman you're going to get for the next five to seven years. Yeah. And he hadn't been that guy. And coming from LSU and just knowing that program forever, I figured he would have been at the top of the cheating stuff in 2017. (laughs) No, I'm dead serious with that. That is is the culture that that he knows. Um, You know, if they could shave wood bats, they would. But so when I saw that in 2019, I thought, you know what? This guy – He's got an incredible eye. I, I, there are not many yeah. guys that know the strike zone better than Alex Bregman. When Alex Bregman says, no, that was outside, it was probably outside. But, yeah, I mean, it, you know, 261-25 isn't bad, but I'm with you. I mean, I think it um, – I still think he's a guy to build around, but they're going to pay too much. They're going to pay for what these guys have done, Bregman and Altuve. Yeah. And the numbers show once you hit 30 in baseball – your numbers just go down. Now they didn't during the steroid era, but I think we're past that. And Alex Bregman actually turns 30 KD on March 30th the next year. Yeah. And Altuve is 34. Hey, Jeff, can you chat with him for a sec while I go pee? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't mean pee out of two this time. Some Remember. of us are uh, picking kids up and some of us are dropping kids yeah. off at the pool. Go have fun with that, Kevin. By the way, Jeff's had the same thing. Jeff, Jeff, you've been dealing with the stomach bug, right? Uh, yesterday, I feel fine today. Uh, okay. Yesterday, it was it was not uh, – it was bad. Was it four days for you, like a four-day deal? No, I just had a one – just a one day, like started, probably didn't feel right. Uh, what was yesterday? Monday. So probably about, I'd say 5, 6 o'clock Sunday night. It's kind of started feeling it a little bit and then – by yesterday morning, it was it wasn't happening. All right, well, you better immune system than me. <laughs> Maybe I just put a lot of garbage in my body over the years, and it's you know, <laughs> reacts that way. Uh, Trey, Trey, how's it going? I'm good. I'm dealing with maybe the early signs of what you guys have been going through these last few days, or maybe it's just a slightly off day for me, but. Uh, it's been a good day so far. Started with some uh, some kids who were up bright and early. It was like it was Christmas morning for them, but they were excited to find out if the Rangers won. So I got to deliver that good news to them and played some sand volleyball after that. And that was competitive. And then uh, just been doing YouTube, radio, and YouTube since then. So I talking. Uh, at 40, I've realized two things, and I've really got to make an effort to do both, to just have a good day, just have a clear head and, and feel good. Um, I've got to get plenty of sleep. Like, I just – I've had to tell myself in the last couple months, like, dude, 
you can't have that bender where you work till one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, get up at six and go like, it just, it's not happening anymore. I'm done. I'm past that. No. Uh, I'm, I'm past, past my prime as far as that goes. And then two, I got to get at least some form of exercise. Right. And to me, that could be like, dude, I go to, you know, I go to HEB to get some orange juice, but I'm going to walk around the store two or three times. Just, you know, make sure something, I got to do something, something to get the blood flowing a little bit. Getting the blood flowing is definitely important. I, whenever you can do it is the right time for the individual, but yeah. I like to do it in the morning. I think it just sets up a, a really good day, but I also, I don't like exercise, believe it or not. So if I can find a way to get myself moving, that doesn't yeah. feel like some form of labor, yeah. then that's the best method for me. And so chasing a ball around, That'll work. It's yeah. been uh, a pursuit of mine. Now I, I go to the gym and do strength training here and there too. But yeah, it's about finding that right activity. And it could be as simple as walking around the store, walking around the neighborhood when it's not a billion degrees here in Texas, like after dinner or something like that. And mm -hmm. oftentimes that sort of starting point will inspire somebody to want to do more too. In incremental gains, Trey, incremental gains. Hey, I, I figured you'd be a good person to ask this question based on the fruit eating experience I've had today. If you were to, if you were to power rank the apples, oh, what apple would you put in? Would you put at the top of the list? That's this is I don't know if there's an easier question that you could ever ask me because of the sheer number of these things that I eat when I'm eating apples. It's, Every time I saw you at the horn, you'd always have an apple in hand. <laughs> so, so you're asking a, an informed question then. It's a, the Fuji apple is my number one. The Fuji, okay. Or none. So I've been I, I've been for, for years just a straight up, just good old simple red delicious apple just yeah. does it for me. That used to be my number one. But you know, I bought some Macintosh apples at the grocery store. And I'm like, you know what? It's it's like the red delicious, but there's a little some extra to it. So if I'm power ranking apples, the Macintosh might have moved up to number one. It's a, it's a strong contender now. I'm actually not that crazy about most apples because most apples are too tart for me. And that's one reason why I liked the red delicious and why I now like the Fuji is because mm -hmm. it's a little bit on the sweeter side. Yeah. The Macintosh is a little it, it, it's. It's a nice balance. It's not too sweet. It's not too tart. It's almost just perfect. Yeah. Hey, um, you are a man who knows a lot about many things. So I'm going to ask this question that CV just asked because Christopher Ross is uh, no longer a part of the Longhorn football. Yeah. Taking a lot of people by surprise. What the heck happened there? Still, still digging on that one, Trey. It's just, that's all, all I was told was he's no longer a part of the team and he's being removed from the roster. So Wow. Read into that. What? Yeah, it's really weird. It hasn't been, hasn't played since he had that elbow injury against right. Wyoming. And, and honestly, like just the eye test, I, I didn't think he was that bad of a player. I mean, I better surpass my expectations. Put it that way. I mean, he was um, playing on a talented defensive line as a yeah. freshman. Yeah. And, and where it really killed you is, man, going into the season, you almost were tr trying to figure out, okay, how are you going to get some of these guys reps at edge? But, you know, you look at it now, Ross is out of the mix. Uh, Colton Vosick's been dealing with a back injury. Is you that got, his issue? Okay. Yeah, that's what we've been told. It's, yeah. it's a back injury. Uh, Ethan Burke is now, you know, week to week with that knee that, you know, he tried to gut through and just, you could tell he was hurting in the, in the U of H game. Well, he had so, taken the knee brace off for that game too. Yeah. So you've got, you've got, 
your issues, you know, with those guys. Uh, and, you know, what What do you do now? Okay, well, you've got Baron Sorrell on one side. You know, you probably more Justice Finkley. Jamon, because Finkley could play Buck or Jack. He's worked at both. Uh, you know, we'll see more Jamon Tap. And then I think maybe, depending on what you want to do, uh, what PK wants to do situationally, Anthony Hill, we, we know, can play on the edge. And and Jare Bledsoe situationally can play on the edge. Trey, and that, that might not be a bad thing considering your next two games are against BYU and K-State, two teams that are going to run heavier personnel. So you might want to match bulk with bulk. And I think that's right up Finkley's alley too. So I think for the matchups, I think to get Bledsoe out there situationally might not be the worst thing in the world. I get that they are trying to give Anthony Hill a chance to be an every down linebacker, but they, are they doing Anthony and this defense a disservice by not just sticking him on the edge and turning him into more of a Micah Parsons from 2022? Cause even the Cowboys are trying to do more with Micah Parsons in 2023 now. Yeah. I do wonder that part, part of me says no. And the only reason why I say no is because and I remember, I remember listening to you and BK at the time, and you guys would lose your minds, as I would, going back and watching Texas games, being there in the stands watching it, and then going back and watching the replay. Like what Todd Orlando did with Joseph Osai in 2019. Where I'll never forget the TCU game. There was a play where he's 20 yards off the ball just sitting in the middle of the field, and I'm like, look, if, if you have a call that requires Joseph Osai to be 20 yards off the ball, you should get that off the call sheet because it sucks. There's no there that that does nobody any any good whatsoever. They, so, they had man coverage against CD Lamb in the Texas OU game. Yeah, so just some of the uh, egregious errors I've seen with how I've seen Texas coaches use really good linebackers over the years. Uh, you, know, you remember the remember the Malcolm Roach and I love Malcolm Roach, but the Malcolm Roach middle linebacker experiment. How well that thing like? Oh yeah, just the just to some of the god-awful moves I've seen with what Texas linebackers have had done to them. I'm I'm cool with what they're doing with Anthony Hill. Uh, you know, to this point, Trey, yeah, he had the flub in the OU game, but David Benda hasn't put anything on tape that's so just egregious that you're like, okay, he's got to sit down. Right. Like he's been he's been serviceable. He's been he's been solid. Yes, but I I, I was surprised that both he and Jalen Ford we're getting picked on at times when Houston was throwing the football on Saturday. Now it wasn't anywhere near the level that the Texas safeties were getting picked on, but there were <laughs> moments in some of those middle of the field crossing routes where the Texas linebackers were at fault for open receivers too. You know, it, it's weird. We talked about this on our Longhorn Blitz podcast today, and, and it's something that I've thought about coming out of the U of H game. You go back to last year, Something that this Texas defense period did not defend very well was in breaking routes. Hmm. And we haven't seen we haven't seen teams really do that to Texas this year a ton. Uh, but Houston did. That you know, credit again. Sometimes you just got to credit a staff with coming up with a really good game plan. I thought Doug Belk and that defensive staff, you know, had a good plan switching up, running some more three man front and and running some three high safety. But you know, getting them with the in breaking routes. And I don't know. Katie, I don't know where you stand on this as you get back in the picture here, but there's there's some kind of disconnect where with some of the some of the guys in the secondary, and, and I know the, the injury stacking up the way they have yeah. has is thrown off their rotations and everything else. But the the guy that it's going to sound like I pick on him, but you know Keaton Crawford had two of the most egregious errors in that game. 
there was one where I think Manjack runs like a – it wasn't a slant. It was more just like a like just a, a, an in-breaking route, just, yeah. just a standard in-cut. And yeah. it's like Crawford reads it, but instead of going over the top to cut him off, yeah, he like trails him. And I'm like, dude, you yeah. have no support. Like, what are you doing? And then the one where Manjack got vertical that they thought was the touchdown that they brought back to inside the one, he saw him break vertical. He was flat-foot reading it, but he didn't react. Like, he just let him run by him. I'm like – that's trusting your recovery speed and athleticism too much. And, and that was actually really good coverage for Keaton Crawford too. It was a nice yeah. throw and an even better catch, but you're, you're right about that. Keaton Crawford at this point probably shouldn't be out there at all because even if the opposing defense is planning on running the ball, as soon as they see him at safety, yeah. they should be going right at him. Mm-hmm. Look, they've recruited well there. I think there's multiple things. Uh, the communication's not good. No, so, that's and that's what it boils down to is it's terrible. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it, the communication is not good. And we've talked about it. Playing secondary now in college or pro football is the toughest thing because the offensive line, it's the only other thing where you've got five or six guys who have to work in unison. Mm-hmm. And they have to communicate. The offensive line can hold now and get away with all types of stuff. The defense can't do anything. You can't breathe on anyone. And and you're also playing with a lot more grass in space. Yeah. Um, so I'll preface it with that, that I understand it's incredibly tough. But communication's not good. You can get on Terry Joseph for that or Gideon. They've got to coach them up more. But also the, the Texas talent, as we talked about even preseason, that that was that's what worried me the most. I mean, I think Muhammad's going to be really damn good. I think Tarek Williams will be really damn good. You know, they're they're young and they're green, and so that's going to take time. And they've got certain personnel that is certainly not CFP level, um, right. probably not in Big Twelve Championship level. And a guy like Dana is going to be able to see that there's ways to pick on them and put them in binding situations or compromise situations where we can really play with them. And Jeff, you know, also the more film you get out there, the more they can look at stuff as the year goes on and say, all right, this is how, you know, Alabama would have done that. I don't think Tommy Reese is a great OC, but Jalen Milrow is so much better now than he was then. They couldn't do it with the quarterback. They had a quarterback that at times could do it. Luckily on the fourth down play on a flood through behind the guy, otherwise, you know, I think Janae Barron may be the best guy and did, and did a good job closing, but mm-hmm. that still should have been a first down if you put it where it needs to be put. Yeah, there, there's three layers to it for me. One layer is, as you said, Katie, the communication's bad. You know, it, I hear the calls, oh, why are you playing off so much? You need to get up and be physical more. When you run, and, and granted, Texas doesn't run exclusively quarters, but let's say, you know, 80% of their coverage is some, yeah. some, kind of, some kind of quarters. When you're running a cover four, at some point, it's going to devolve into just man-to-man coverage. So yeah. that, that's not the problem. The problem is in that scheme, and if you've watched Saban or Pat Narduzzi or Gary Patterson over the years, guys that use match quarters, if you are if you don't know what got, who's, who's got who when you're passing off routes – Dude, that's how guys get open, and it looks like, oh, my gosh, what was everybody doing? That just breaks down to poor communication. So that's that's one part of it. I think the other part of it uh, is I think they respected Donovan Smith's legs way too much. That's why, Trey, to your point, that's why the linebackers weren't dropping deeper. And at some point, it's funny, had had PK kind of known – you know, before the game, what he knew after, where Dana got asked about quarterback sneak, and he said, look, Texas has – the best defensive tackles in the country. He said, I'm not running Donovan Smith 
straight up the gut at their defensive tackles. He said, that'd be stupid. I'm just not going to do it. Okay, so that quarterback run was gonna, pretty much going to be out for, out for them. And then, KD, to your point about a guy like Dana, who's really sharp offensively, he it's funny, all the Leech disciples take something from him. You know, yeah. you can see it in the way they coach. Dana's is, if he finds a concept that works, dude, he will run it over and over yeah. and over and over until you stop it. And if you don't stop it, dude, he will bludgeon you over the head with it. Which Leach would. Great point. I mean, yeah. Leach would run that over and over and over again. Yeah. Dana, maybe the maybe the most fun football coach. Augie's always the, the number one for me. <laughs> football coach I've ever gone to get drinks with to where it's like, bro, I, I have to get, get home, man. <laughs> Dana is Dana's quite the character, dude. Oh, that doesn't I've I've heard stories. I'm yeah, well, I, I only have one, and it was like, I'm like, dude, I, I have to get home, you know? <laughs> well, guys, much like a couple of years ago where the Texas offensive line showed that they had no idea what to do when a defensive line was twisting and stunting to try and get after the quarterback, once it was on tape with TCU and Oklahoma, every other defense the rest of the way was trying that and unfortunately having a lot of success, too. This Texas secondary is going to be dealing with crossing routes until they can show that they can stop it. My question for each of you is which team the rest of the way do you think is most likely to exploit that flaw in this defense, assuming it remains one? Yeah, uh, Jeff, Jeff has looked at the Big 12 a lot more than me. So, I mean, I've watched it, but yeah, I know you're doing this every day. So, what do you think, Jeff? Part of me wants to say TCU or Tech, yeah. but but both both of those teams have their issues. Yeah. Right now, um, I, I don't even know who's starting for quarter for at for tech at quarterback right now. Is it is it Morton? I, who, who is it? I don't know. I don't even know if they know week to week who's starting. Um, but you know, Katie, I was talking to Trey about that. We were talking about playing, uh, you know, Texas with with the Chris Ross situation happening. Your your depth at edge is shrinking with Vosick and, and Burke being on the men. You know, Jare Bledsoe is a guy you could play situationally, man. If you're playing BYU and K State the next two weeks, man, that that's not it's not a bad thing to have Jare Bledsoe on the field more, matching size with size. I totally agree. And I watched BYU last week. I mean, they have Keaton Slovis, who's still we remember was a pretty highly counted guy, you know, going to USC. Yeah. And I I I've looked at their numbers. I understand they're awful offensively. But that's also where I always tell people, and you guys know this, when you get to October 24th, you have enough of a sample size to look at stats and go, they're the worst in the Big 12 at doing this. This is more like Astros Rangers at this point. I don't care what the compilation is. What are you doing right now? Yeah. And so I, I the 20-point spread kind of surprised me a little bit. A little bit. I'll say this. Iowa State's getting a lot better. And it's kind of a Matt Campbell team. And it's starting here. I mean, you started as a felon in prison. And now, like, you, you've got a pretty good job. And you're, you know, paying taxes. You're not killing it in life. But I'll give you something. And so I, I think any of these teams, and it probably gets back to also where is the Texas offense? Because Texas was not scoring people. For the most yeah. part, right? Right. Yeah. That's and no. That you make a great point, KD. Um, what, what you just said. No. With Texas offensively, I, I, I really. I hope this brings out the best in Sark. That's kind of where I've come in the in the last you know forty eight seventy two hours. You know, with the Quinn injury. Are you optimistic it will though, Jeff? 
I'm, no, I'm not overly optimistic that it will. I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm not overly optimistic that it will. Trey, are you? No, because we see it take Steve Sarkeesian a long time to make a change that's obvious to everybody else. And in some cases, his bad habits remain. Like if anybody has confidence in Steve Sarkeesian at the end of a half, I would love to have a conversation with you as to why. Man, that's and so my concern cool. is that we are going to see this football. We are going to see Steve Sarkeesian, his arrogance come out in terms of him insisting on continuing to throw it a lot early on in downs and drives uh, in the first quarter, whatever it is. And that's not to say they need to run it every time, but you do need to consider running it a little bit more At, to get back to Mike Leach and something great that he used to talk about with balance. Balance is relative to the situation. Yeah, Balance in on offense doesn't necessarily mean a 50 50 split it could be 60 40 it could be 70 30 it just depends on the roster that you're dealing with that balance needs to be more run heavy now at least at the start of the byu game like if malik murphy or arch manny whoever starts that game and in all likelihood it's going to be malik murphy is having to throw it more than 15 to 20 times per game i think something has gone wrong and you are unexpectedly finding yourself in a dogfight with a BYU team that you should still beat fairly handily. Yeah. I think the the Sarks and there's a fine line between being aggressive and being reckless. Yeah. And I feel like Sark straddles that line sometimes and the fake field goal is a perfect example of stepping over it, you know. It's like you know, Sark talks about complimentary football, but in situations like that, it's like you take the concept of complimentary football, you put it in a nice little box with a bow, and then you just set that mother on fire. Like that's what you do to complimentary <laughs> football. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And we see we yeah. see Texas do that time and again. Like your your defense has already shown some vulnerabilities at that point. You know, Houston has life. If, if it's fourth and one, all right, maybe. You know, at the end of 10 beers, you can convince me that doing that was the right call. But fourth and sixth, and if you want to go for it, just keep the offense on the field. You know? Yeah. I still might not agree with you going for it on fourth down, but keep the offense off the field. Like there, there, there have got to be better way, better ways on your call sheet to get six yards than counting on Burt Auburn to outrun the Houston defense to the edge. Yeah, and, and that know? kicker, that kicker better be Adley Rutschman and 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 have some <laughs> size and athleticism. Who? Adley Rushman, who's the – you don't watch any baseball, do you? One of the best catchers for the Orioles? Just Justin Tucker played uh, played some safety in high school at Westlake. But did. then again, we did see him on the fake punt against Wyoming, so what do I know? Yeah, but all, all the shout-out to my Westlake safeties, Johnny Rogers included. I don't want them having to get six yards. But uh, but maybe Adley, uh, who played at Oregon State, it was a All-American baseball player now, one of the best catchers for the Orioles. Um, but, yeah, it's just a bad call. But um, we're still – it feels like Sark is still learning on the job, and it's his third head coaching job, so it makes it a little bit more troubling. But there is other stuff that Trey's talked about, and Jeff, I know you have too, that – just trying to figure it out. I mean, the reality is in college football and most sports as a fan, when you're watching, and I, I want to say it's a high majority, maybe 80 to 85% of, of fans that are watching, and you're still trying to figure out even three or four years in, is this marriage going to work? And there are days that it feels like, dude, we're going to be together the rest of our life and have a great family. <laughs> 
then there are days you think this is this may not last and i'm not there with sark i'm not prisoner of the moment but but there are times with game management and some of the stuff that we've talked about that i just think god man like you, you should know that i mean one of the things yeah. that i trusted about you after washington and usc was your time whether it's with atlanta certainly with saban both times where you've got to soak that in and think dude what was i doing at usc i mean usc is a different deal because of his you know because of the, the problem that he had which thank god he's you know i, I seems to have figured that out i think he's definitely figured that out but at washington even and they were a 111 team or 0 and 12 team when he took them over so i always gave him leeway and wrote on that but the saban stuff should have taught him and i think it did in how to run a program and i think he's mm -hmm. done doing a great job with that building this program and in and, and acquiring talent and building depth the right way and hopefully developing that but there's just some stuff game management wise, you either have it or don't, I guess. And it just feels like there's some stuff that makes me scratch my head. I also understand it's never going to be 100 percent or anywhere near. Right. There's going to be yeah. times where Alabama fans say Saban's a dumbass. <laughs> Would you trade him? You know how many years OU fans were trying to fire Bob Stoops? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But Katie, here's my deal with Sark, and I know it sounds sometimes like I just get overly critical of Sark and overly negative on Sark. I but think you're completely objective about Sark. But, so, but sometimes I get accused of that. But sometimes with Sark, I feel like I'm chasing the dragon, like because I see when everything clicks. That's probably in terms not of the game management. With Sark, by the way. But you, you know what I'm saying, though. It's like I, I, I see it, and I'm like, that's it. That's it right there. That that's that's what the ceiling is, and it. Yeah. And when you see that ceiling, man, it just you're like, dude, this this dude could this this dude could go win a championship. Yep. And when you when you talk about championships at Texas, I'm talking about like the big the, the big one, the whole deal. Yep. But yep. then it's and you know ones and build yeah. a little mini dynasty. But I feel like I feel like the devil on Sark's shoulder is during a game. It's like I think I think it, he can get two tunnel vision, and I'm not saying he needs to give up play calling. I'm saying he needs to have some somebody else on his shoulder because right on his shoulder is it's little Brandon Staley over here saying, yeah, yeah, roll the dice. Run that fake field goal on fourth down. You know you want to do it. You know you can do it. You know you can make it. It's like, oh, no. Trey, there. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm there. Whenever uh, Steve Sarkeesian coaches at the end of a half, that ceiling goes down for me. It also goes down when he starts talking about dinosaurs going extinct too. I think hey, that's Jeff, something hey, – hey. Jeff, can I oh, go ahead? And no, I have a question for you after this. The dinosaur thing—that's something I think. If you're on the Saban coaching tree, I think that's your go-to because I've heard I've heard Kirby Smart say that a lot. I've heard Kevin say it. Think about what you're saying, please. <laughs> I get it. Like you're just making a, a tiny little point there, and it's all about being resilient and adaptable. And but that's not that doesn't drive that point home. It just makes you sound ignorant. Yeah. What what's what was your question, Katie? So one of my colleagues, guy I work with, shout out to Lone Star Development Partners. Love those guys. And Chris White is as big a Texas fan as I know. And he's a big fan of yours and is all over the message boards. And uh, <clears throat> we're going over stuff. I'm like, hey, can I call you back at five? So like, yeah, sure. I'm like, do you have a question for Jeff Howe? Like, yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask this to both y'all. Start with you, Jeff. Okay. Will Arch get any playing time this week? 
I've thought about this. It's a great question. Yeah. No, no, no. Chris is not like it. Chris is all after our Monday morning meetings, we go over business and he's like, dude, what the hell happened? Like Chris is all in. (laughs) Let's let's start here, Jeff. Do we all agree that Malik Murphy starts the game? Yeah. 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 I think that's kind of what you have to do. And he should. Yep. I I say no unless Malik just absolutely tanks. What would it take for Steve Sarkeesian to replace Malik Murphy at halftime with Arch Manning? Because last year, I don't even know if you could say there was a leash for Quinn Ewers. No matter what Quinn Ewers did, unless he was hurt, he was not being taken out as the Longhorns quarterback to the detriment of them winning games at times. Yeah. I, I think you would won't yeah. be in play this Saturday. Right. I think you would have to be cause Sark, we've seen Sark gives his quarterbacks a long leash. Yeah. Like you said, Trey, that thing was invisible with Quinn at times last year. I think you would, it would have to be like at halftime. If you're down like 21, nothing and the offense is just done. Like you haven't busted a grape all day. You know, and you're you're turning the ball over. I think at that point you have to, and I think maybe with two inexperienced quarterbacks, maybe he's more likely to. I think the thing that that's interesting here with Arch, you know, when you look at the postseason, whether Texas in the CFP or just a bowl game, you know, you you can play in the postseason and it doesn't count against your four games. Part of me wonders: is does Sark just you know at, at what point do you start? deciding that you want to use those four games in other words do you get through game eight and then say all right we can play him in these four games you figure quinn if you figure if we're in the big 12 championship game quinn's back by the big 12 championship game so yeah we'll just we'll just save arch until we absolutely have to use him because that's fair to him and you feel like you can get by with malik like i said unless malik murphy just absolutely just has a first half like garrett gilbert k-state 2010 first half then i don't think we see arch on saturday Trey, what about you? I think we see Arch on Saturday if Texas can have this game in hand in the fourth quarter, which BYU is not great, so I think we do. I can know people will look at Keaton Slovis and the fact that he used to be at USC and wonder if he is a good enough thrower of the football to take advantage of some of the issues that this secondary is dealing with right now. The answer, at least based on what we've seen this season, is no. So BYU's pretty average running the football, too. They had some successes against Tech, but they also didn't have to do a ton against Texas Tech on offense either because they forced three interceptions out of Texas Tech's third-string quarterback, which is why it is imperative that you don't put too much on Malik Murphy early in the game, and all of a sudden you find yourself dealing with short fields as a defense because of turnovers. You don't need to overthink this one if you're Steve Sarkeesian. Let it be the Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter show. Baxter is as healthy as he's been since the first quarter of the very first game of the season. And let Malik operate with pretty simple, obvious throws off of play action a lot of the time early on. You're right, Trey. Baxter's juice was back. Like, you could tell that in the U of H game, like, especially on that touchdown run. Yeah, a couple runs were like, oh, I haven't seen that guy in about two months. You look different. And by the way, it's something Jeff and I have talked about, Trey. I know we have as well, but Jeff and I talked about it when you were uh, picking up the kiddos. By the way, that that picture of Vid, my little niece over there, (laughs) behind your right shoulder, is, like, still one of the best pictures of all time. Yep. Cooler than I'll ever look. Yeah. No, I mean, with the, the... 
It's the only time I've seen a chick wearing the Jackie O sunglasses and not thought I was, you know, over the top. Um, hey, don't but, call my infinite chick, you. Huh? I said, don't call what my infinite say? chick. Oh, how dare you? Get out. <laughs> uh, she's, yeah, she's turning into one. Um, but the maybe change up from just inside zone, Jeff, yeah. right? and, and, and maybe some counter trap, just different schemes to throw it in there. Right. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Something. You got it. A little bit more creative within the run game. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. a, little, a little diversity in the run game. No, I yeah. dig that. Kevin, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to leave everybody with uh, something that I heard from Major that was a Greg Davis thing that needs to be in the back of Sark's mind. It needs to be in the back of Malik's mind. You know, if he does have a third and 10 where he's got to throw the football, reserve the right to punt. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ryan, Ryan Sanborn is a hell of a weapon, man. And, right. you know, BYU's, BYU's bad offense, back them up and, and let your defense go to work, see if you can flip the field. It, it, it's, it's, it's got the potential to be like a – like a 24 to 10 type game on yeah. Saturday, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, something Agreed. that's not going to be, it's not going to be a masterpiece. Won't be aesthetically pleasing. We won't watch it as much on LHN as we do the 06 Rose bowl, but you know, well, you, you know, and I do trade in, but uh, I've got that DVD somewhere in here. That's got the, I got the four of them. <laughs> I got four of them. Jeff Trey's never rewatched that game. Like at all. No. Real, wow. Well, don't be flippant and confident about it. You may have more lives and a, a better life than all of us, but I'm not even sure about that. How have you never rewatched that game? I just, <laughs> I, I know what the outcome is. I don't need to rewatch the game. I, I lived through it. I enjoyed it. I watch highlights um, here and there. Hey, I've got something. I saw Cooter uh, on the, uh, in the chat who said he, he misses me talking about trading cards on the, uh, on my radio show, I got one for you. I don't know if you can see it very good, but I'll just give you a sample. Picked this up recently, man. That is a uh, 1959 Johnny Unitas. Wow. Yeah. Let's see where on his head there. Oh, that's just a piece of tape. But dude, look how look at just the teeth, man. That's uh. I don't think Johnny U was getting a lot of commercials back then. I couldn't see the for various though. products. Were they all? Can I see it again, up? Jeff? Jeff, oh, show yeah. it again. John, the Johnny used teeth. Yeah, look at that. Oh my God, that's yeah. great. Yeah. One bar I, face mask. One bar face masks back then, KD. No, one bar. I mean, the the, the only guy that we were really watching, not you, Jeff. You're younger, but in our lifetime, would have been Joe Thais. I thought somebody else said Trent Dilfer did something like that. It was modified, maybe like Terry Bradshaw. That going on. I think Bradshaw even had. Too, too small. I think he did, but that was the closest we got. Kickers just wore one bar when yeah. I was growing up. You remember when yeah, Steve, including including Matt Barr, right? Yeah, you remember uh, when Steve Grogan played for the Patriots and he actually wore like the neck roll to play quarterback. Yeah, he needed it in the Super Bowl. <laughs> How badass did that look? Who was the other quarterback with Grogan that game? Tony Grogan East, was Tony, Tony Easton. Tony, Tony Easton, Easton, number seven. Look at this guy. Yeah, class of '83. Classic. Oh, you're right. He was in that class. Jim Did Kelly, you, John Elway, Dan Marino, Todd Blackledge, and Tony Easton were the five that went in the first round. Or Ken O'Brien. Ken O'Brien, my bad. Was, was Easton the last one taken? Uh, no, Marino was. Oh, God. Marino was. Ken O'Brien went a couple before uh, before Marino. Yeah, and that's funny because he was, he was in the same class. Who was the Bears offensive lineman at Pitt with him? Jimbo, Tom, Co uh, Jimbo Covert. 
Jimbo Coburn, right. Yeah. And the whole rumor going around Marino was guy parties too much. Mm-hmm. And Jimbo, or like, I think it was on blow. I think that and was he, the, there was a, there was a rumor that uh, Dan Marino was a big fan of the booger sugar back in the day. Right. And Jimbo Coburn said, I'm his roommate. Trust me. Like if he's doing that, it's somehow amazing that I have no idea about it, but I was funny roommate how, and- there's no better place for a guy with a Coke problem than Miami guys. I know. That's the other thing, too. Obviously, Miami had really done their due diligence. It also probably tells me that Don Shula and whoever their GM was probably put that out there. If you're for, if you're in Miami in the 80s and you take a guy who's apparently all over the booger sugar, like, you know that yeah. that was a false rumor. Mm-hmm. No question. That 83 draft was good, man. It's a good draft. The Bears had a good draft that year, Katie. They got Jimbo Covert and Willie Galt in the first round. And Willie Galt, Willie Galt from Tennessee, who was thought to be a track guy. Yeah, uh, that that that's a great thirty for thirty. Still the best thing ESPN's ever done. Do you remember like the, the time that uh, you were probably covering the Raiders when they were doing joint practices with the Cowboys at St. Ed's? When basically Al Davis tried to put together like a U.S. Olympic relay team for his wide oh, yeah. receiver group, yeah, yeah like James Willie Gall, Jett. James Jet, yeah, Alexander Wright, yeah, and all, all. If you if you ran sub whatever back at that yeah. point, you jumped to the top of Al Davis's board. Yeah, and as we talked about train, I talked about earlier back then, you could you know it wasn't easy to get off the line of scrimmage. So it was not like, yeah, right. you know, if I get this guy in a full sprint, then maybe Jay Schrader or Steve Berline hits him. But <sighs> there's a good chance that he never gets into that round. Dude, okay, funny story before I go. My buddy had this, him uh, and his, when he lived with his parents, I think we were a couple years out of high school, he had, uh, his dad had this coffee, it was a coffee table book of like, it, Peter King, it was ranking quarterbacks and stuff. Was and it a got, coffee table book? yeah. It also turned into a coffee table. No, but it was, uh, it, it was, it was talking about, it was talking about strongest arms, right? Strongest arms ever. And Peter King had Jay Schrader at like three. I closed the book and just throw it down. And my buddy's like, "What's wrong?" I was like, "Go look at page twenty six. I'm never picking that shit up ever again." <laughs> <laughs> Jay Schrader with the strongest, the third strongest arm of all time. Oh my god! Yeah. Where did he have Marino and Jeff George? I don't remember. It's just so bad. I just remember Jay Schrader at three, and I that's all I remember. I just can still visualize what that page looked like. Everything. Having Jay Schrader at number three. If you wanted to put Jeff George at number three in terms of arm strength, I'll I'll agree with it. Yeah, and I'll also release, man. Yeah. Jeff George, another former Raider, by the way. So oh yeah, you're right. All right, fellas, Trey, I'll, uh, I guess we'll do the thing on Friday. Yes, we will. Damn it. All right. There's those balloons again. <laughs> See you guys. Balloons and the thumb up, huh? God, your thumb is so weird. I know. You can't even. So, so, like, so trying to, mean, like trying to take a picture of nature. You can't even get just how jacked up this thumb is. It is the world's greatest. But like all my fingers are going different directions. I've broken almost all of them playing sports or severely jammed them and still played with them. So there's a reason for that. People see that they're like, dude, you're like, your fingers are going in different directions. There's a reason for it. I wasn't born that way. You were born that way, right? Yeah. I was born with these freak thumbs. God, man. Hookers must love you. Well, my wife does.
No, I'm not saying shit about Justine. You know I love her. So I, I will take that back. Have, make sure I've... she make sure she doesn't watch this like she doesn't go through your phone with, with photos. Well, she watches and listens sometimes. <clears throat> I am well, adding a thousand in my my history of hitchhiking though. My limited thousand meaning what? You actually weren't picked up? No, I, I was picked up. To succeed in hitchhiking is to be picked up. Okay. Um, that's one thing that's really gone away, right? Because I remember in the 80s, there was still some hitchhiking. But at that point, people knew because of the 70s, like, don't pick them up. But seeing guys thumb on the side of the road, and it's like, you go buy it. And I do remember a couple. God, I was with a group, probably 16 or 17. This was not me, but I'm in the car. And they pulled up, like, you know, probably 100 yards before, or, you know, ahead. And this person started running and then they took off. And I'm like, really? I'm like, you know, do we have to do that? And by the way, what if our car breaks down here in a quarter of a mile and this serial killer fucking kills us all? He's probably not a serial killer. He's probably just a guy that's trying to hitch a ride from one place to another. Which is probably 97% of that, but 3% you're dead, so... I think 3%, no, okay, out of that 3%, 95% are looking for some sort of sexual experience and the other 5% are looking to kill you. So it's like point, I don't know what that is. All right, is. so I don't want any of it. <laughs> my hitchhiking experience was hitchhiking from where we would get out of the river in Oregon to get back to my car. So it was literally a five minute ride and there's nowhere else for the person who's going to potentially be providing right. for you to go. But wasn't that Oregon experience kind of like the fifties where hitchhiking was and howdy duty. And it's like, Hey, come on in partner. How you doing? Doing well. We're on the river. Where are you going? Right over here. By the way, if you're ever around here and need eggs, come in and say, hi, good to meet you, Bill. Good to meet you, Sally. Have a good day. You know, which was great, but that was Oregon, right? Small town hitchhiking, exactly. Yeah. Now, you're right about that. But I worked with a dude who had hitchhiked across the country, I want to say a couple of different times, like from Montana down to like Florida or somewhere along the eastern seaboard and back a couple different times. That's psychotic. He's, he was a chill dude. Didn't strike me as somebody who was looking to get his rocks off. He was just a guy who was who uh, didn't have a whole lot of money, but wanted to go see other parts of the country. And he Good said the key to successful hitchhiking is to dress in a suit. So he would dress in a three-piece suit, coat, tie, dress <laughs> pants, and you get picked up pretty quickly. Apparently, so you didn't have you a lot of like money. You, yeah, you don't look suit. like a serial killer, and you don't look like somebody who's who's going for reach arounds. <laughs> the most normal people who also aren't looking to kill you will pick you up. That's how Ted Bundy made, made his living. Um, well, you Ted know. Bundy was just a good looking dude. I mean, good looking people can obviously get away with a lot more than, than ugly people can. But that's my point. The three piece suit is kind of, you look like someone who wouldn't do this. Yeah. And you're saying Ted Bundy had a, uh, a nice, respectful, upright look about him. Well, wouldn't Ted Bundy a lawyer too? He represented himself in court. 
Yeah, I mean, so Ted, I mean, he had enough of a of a respectable appeal and was good looking. You're right about the good looking part. Good looking people can get away with with murder. You're yeah, you're right that he was charming. Like he had a charm about him, which people who followed that closely back then will admit. Very strange. What what an era that was. That was near the end of a heavy serial killer era, right? Like the serial yeah. killer thing really got going in the late fifties into the sixties, and then Bundy was Bundy was Bundy was eighties. Was he? Yeah. Wow. Because with my mom and the whole Adam Walsh thing we've talked about, I, I was way too into serial killers. Like they would be coming into Westlake and coming into my house, you know. Uh, which psychologically, I'm sure, is one of the many reasons I'm so off. Yeah, well, your mom, uh, she did freak you out, but I also understand why she got caught up in that hysteria, too. Oh, it wasn't her fault. I mean, it, that's all media. I mean, media does it today, and they were doing it back then. You know, don't listen to the media. Don't trust the media. Get off Twitter. Stop going to Fox or CNBC or MSNBC or MSNBC or CBS or any of that shit. They don't care about you. They're trying to get clicks. They're trying to get advertisers. They don't care about mankind. I'm not being cynical here. I'm telling you as someone who's also been behind the scenes, that's all they care about. Yeah. Bundy was mid to late seventies, by the way. Okay. Then maybe, maybe, maybe it was his arraignment. I'm thinking of in the eighties. Yeah. He got, he was found guilty in July of 79. And there, there was his last, his last one would have been Gainesville, where he went into a sorority and raped a bunch of chicks after he'd already broken out of a prison, I believe, too. Or well, broken out of a prison a couple of times, hadn't he? Yeah. I have not followed that this nearly as closely, obviously. But yeah, t- t- boy, that, that era in American history and the amount of serial killing and pedophilia just kind of openly going on. Yeah. And not that it was completely embraced, but it was there was a weird acceptance of it all, too. Yeah, the weird thing is there's no pedophilia going on now with like the top 0.001% of elites who are politicians and worth $2 billion. Oh, wait a minute, Epstein Island. I take that back. <laughs> Nor uh, top religious officials either in certain oh, I mean, it, sects. That, that will never get out. I love how we talk about all this different stuff, you know. What about Donald Trump? What about Joe Biden? What about this? What about... How is that not the top story? How are we not getting to the answer and getting to the bottom of that every day on all the news stations I just talked about? Oh, I know why. <laughs> well, they, they find these issues that get people up in arms and passionate that distract from the biggest issue at hand. Like, what is the current thing? I brought this up with Jeff on Friday, how many, this has kind of gone away now, but a week ago it was how many babies have been beheaded? No, it's this many babies have been beheaded. No, it's this many babies that have been beheaded. Well, here's a picture. That picture's not actually real. Here's a real picture. Is that picture real too? I mean, it is just one muddled mess. And a lot of it stems from- Does it matter if it's one or 90, by the way? That's my point. Yeah, right. A baby's been beheaded. Right. Yeah, atrocities are committed by a lot of different sides, but there's a, a lot of finger pointing towards one side or the other. 
when the reality is is that we're just living in a broken fucking world right now. Boy, this is yeah, this we is, are. This has turned dark really fast. I apologize. It's, this is my it's still fault. the best world and the best country we've ever lived in. So let's just make it better. And all you can do is treat people well individually, and don't get caught up in that. And just try and focus on what you can do as a human being. That's that, that's what I'm trying to do. If you can be present and not constantly distracted by this thing. Not constantly be distracted by a computer screen or a tablet and just try to try to enjoy the company around you or the environment around you. If you don't necessarily want to have company, then you're you're getting yourself ahead in this world. Because hey, there are a lot of people who have an impossible time being present at this point. That's well said as I look at my phone. Um which was part part of the act here. I'm going Joe Davis and uh Gus uh, Johnson on it, you know. By the way, Joe Davis doesn't really sound like that in person. Uh, but hey, what what do you think about John Schmoltz, the analyst? Because I like him a lot. I do too. I think he, I mean every you know every play by play guy and analyst gets shit on. It, it, getting back to our point, it's so easy to just throw stones. I don't think Schmoltz is great. He's not like the best analyst I've heard, but I think he's pretty good, and he's obviously heavy on pitching. So you hear him talk about the Astros pitchers and what they need to do to get an out. I've seen Rangers fans in the media in Dallas, people I like, I'm friends with. Dude, he's so pro Astros. One, dude, you fucking watch four games a year, and I know that. And you also hate baseball. I know that too. So you're just playing to your Dallas market and trying to get likes and retweets. I get that. You're also a good guy, but I'm going to call it out. Um, he's very pitcher heavy. So when the Rangers are there, man, I'm not sure if Scherzer should be throwing that cutter there. Dude, his backdoor curveball is, is probably something you go with here. He's a pitcher. So he's probably too pitcher heavy, but which is why catchers are usually great analysts because they can come at it as mm. a pitcher's mindset. And also if I'm at plate at the plate right now, man, I'm looking for this, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to bail him well or whatever. So I think Smoltz, I think Smoltz is fine. He doesn't doesn't bother me like Twitter does, but neither does Joe Buck. <laughs> I mean, some of the people that you would think are like we're on Epstein Island with the way sports Twitter talks about him. But sports Twitter is full of very frustrated human beings. And I, I do get that. Hey, can I make maybe one last point here before we get out of here about the Astros, kind of a, a, a larger point than an overview as someone, and you can admit this. I mean, I truly do not have a dog in this fight. I'm a Cubs fan lifelong. I became a Rangers fan, not fan, but I really, really started to like the team this year because I watched them a ton. I knew they were a young team. I knew a lot of their players following high school, college, minor leagues. And, I, and they've been unwatchable for eight years. I still watched them because guess who hasn't been on during that seven and eight year run in Austin, Texas? The Houston Astros because of their bullshit cable deal. This is one of those market shares you're going to look back on and say when the Rangers were piss poor and dog shit forever. Not only my age, take away my age, and I'll always be a Cubs fan first. And I still like the Astros because I've 
I'll have the package or I'll watch enough stuff. This was a great time to capture the market share of six to 12 year olds or 12 to 18 year olds. This was your time. The Rangers stunk. Even outside of the cheating, you guys play, Astros play an exciting brand of ball. You got characters, you're hitting bombs, you're taking extra bags. You got guys throwing gas. Like, and I think they lost a lot of that. I, they almost pissed away an era when they did really well. They won two, you want to count one, they won two in seven years, went to what, four? It was, it was incredible. I mean, you call it dynasty or not, I'm not, whatever. Um, we can get into semantics. But it was a hell of a run. And you had a chance to really gain. When you have almost a decade of you can gain market share in places like San Antonio or Austin or El Paso or Tyler or grab it. And their cable thing screwed a bunch of that up, man. Yeah. It's a great. Am I wrong or does that make sense or no? No, you're right about that. It's uh, it's sad that that's how it's gone down. I mean, the whole Bally debacle this year with Major League Baseball. Fortunately, Major League Baseball came in and, and rescued that situation. But I don't know, does MLB try and do more to help out there? Or is that something that is mostly on the franchise to get right? MLB doesn't care. All these games would be on Fox or NBC or even ABC. They would be like from C LCS on. MLB only cares about this. Well, I'm, so talking about the regular, I'm talking about the regular season games, like the Rangers, Arizona, and there was one other franchise were in danger of losing all of their broadcasts because uh, Bally was going bank, uh, Bally's was going bankrupt. Right. So MLB basically had to step in to start running the production for those broadcasts, and they the did with- games to remain on in the market. Dude, Bal- Astros games weren't on – and a majority of Houston households because of Bauer. It gets back to the Longhorn Network thing we talked about before. So they're not on in San Antonio. They're not on in Austin. In 98% of the homes or whatever it is. So whatever. Like, you had a chance to really, really build a decade's worth of this guy's going to be 16 crying and wearing a, uh, a helmet at a game and buying jerseys from us. And, I, you know... They're still, they've still been so good. They built a little bit of that, but not what they should have. And the Rangers are on in almost every city. Yeah. And they've, uh, they've definitely gained a whole lot more fans in the last month. True. Three weeks now. All right. Well, uh, great conversation today, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. As always, we'll talk on Thursday and, um, hope you don't sport too much tonight. <laughs> Thank you to all of uh, those squirters who have watched and listened today. We do appreciate it. And as always, if you haven't already, subscribe to Texas Sports Unfiltered, the YouTube channel. Click the thumbs up button if you like today's episode, any part of it from 8 a.m. all the way to now. And make sure to tune in tomorrow, 8 a.m. all the way to 5 p.m., starting with Bucky and BK. Bright and early for Kevin Dunn and everybody else here at Texas Sports Unfiltered. I am Trey Elling. We will talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, hook them.